gosh. This one of my favorite things about having a friend who's super into Survivor is <laughs> I was gonna make this reference right now. And there's a lot of people who might not understand what I'm about to say, but I know you do because you've seen this season. But <laughs> when I was watching the first Blair Witch, Heather just kept bothering me because she kept reminding me of somebody and I couldn't remember. And I think you were you would know who I'm talking about when I say that she reminded me of Krista from Pearl oh, Islands. Oh yeah, you know like Sandra's best friend yes, per se. Yeah, like and so like yeah, the blonde. Yeah, because I was watching this, I was like, her voice sounds so <laughs> familiar. And I know it's not because of her. It's somebody else. Yeah. So I'm glad we're at a wow. point where we both, like, I can say that on this, and you don't go, why are you bringing this up? <laughs> so, no, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Good old oh, Krista. God. Yeah. It's, it's been a long two weeks, <laughs> at least for <laughs> me. It's, uh, in case anyone couldn't tell the last episode, I was on the way of ha- on the way to getting a sinus infection it sounds in real time at least to me <laughs> when i listen to the episode uh, our clerk's episode and while i was dealing with that once that subsided my roommate got covid <laughs> so i had to quarantine after that yeah and so now we're here everything's good to go we have survived andy I've, was th- i've been far to south away. carolina and back yeah. andy left to south carolina left me here and that's fine <laughs> It was a great time. It looked it looked wonderful. It looked beautiful. Yeah. Great I, wedding. I even I squeezed in an, an affair with another podcast. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Still came crawling back. <laughs> yes, you came <laughs> crawling back. And ah, uh, I'm I'm so glad we're now into the spooky season stuff because yeah, especially with this because in case no one could tell, last episode Clerks Three really just. Even without a sinus infection, even <laughs> if I didn't have that in that episode, I think I just still would have been drained. Yeah. And so I'm glad we're draining on, trilogy. Glad we're on to this. Yeah. This is oh my god. Well, this in in maybe some of its own ways is a little bit of a, a trial of a trilogy, but <laughs> but uh, I, a trial certainly that, will be interesting to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but before we get to that, I do want to bring up. Because I think I'm the only one that saw it. Because I was able to, after quarantine and whatnot, and like kind of at the tail end of it, I was able to actually see Don't Worry Darling. Oh, wow, you did. I did see that. I, I was actually I was able to sneak it in before I went back into work, which is nice. <laughs> and it is it is mediocre. Yeah. It's the best way to say it. It is, it is immaculate visually. And it just falls apart, and unfortunately, <laughs> the in the places it really shouldn't. It's, yeah, I think Olivia Wilde's a good director. I think the film shows that she is talented. Yeah, and I think there was a good. She wrote it too, right? No, oh. she. Uh, I if she she might have helped with the story. I don't think she did. The screenwriting oh, okay. credit is one person. I've okay. never heard of them before, but yeah, no. I mean, it's a film where you have a talented ensemble. It looks good. The score. My God, Andy, I was so shocked watching this film being like, this is incredible. Why is a score in this film like this? <laughs> John Powell makes a really good, oh, intense yeah. thriller score. And then it just has a weak, bad performance from a specific actor <laughs> and a narrative that is just so dense of like cool shit. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't know how to tie it all together. And then it just kind of ends. Yeah. And it's like a fr- a refrain I keep hearing is that it like it it 
kind of puts all of its eggs into the central mystery and then the central yes. mystery just isn't really interesting enough to justify it all so then what you're left with is a yeah. narrative that's not that interesting and characters that aren't that interesting and yeah. the only thing keeping you going is the fact that you don't know what's happening yet yeah. until you finally do yeah i think the the thing that really made me just go like gosh this could have been so much better if they had just focused on the characters because the characters are so kind of barren. Mm-hmm. Like the performances, like Florence Pugh, unsurprisingly right. knocks it out of the park. Olivia Wilde, in my opinion, even though I know it's she's the director, unsurprisingly mm-hmm. she has one of the better performances in the <laughs> film, but she actually is really good. Yeah, Chris Pine's a devilish little bastard. He's so much fun as kind of like the closest thing the film's got to an antagonist, if yeah. anything. And just ultimately, like, when it just gets to the end of it, you just, at least me personally, I just kept watching it going, like, this is, I'm having a decent time, but I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. Because the story itself is just so barren. Like, it's barren enough, and it's also weird and not generic, uh, just kind of vague. Vague enough where it's like, there's something else going on here, and it's taking a, a decent yeah. amount of time to get to this. Well, and it seems like it's also just, like, doing a hefty amount of borrowing, like Stepford Wives, The Matrix, yes. that kind of, you know, Pleasantville, stuff like that, so. The, the best, I mean, I was talking to, because, again, my roommate Adam was just like, I have no interest in probably seeing this in theaters. <laughs> I'll maybe watch it in the future. Just tell me what the twist is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I talked to him about, like, there are two films that this film reminds me of that, like, in terms of what its execution or quality could have been had it been done better. Mm-hmm. And if I said it on this podcast, I think it would kind of give away what the actual twist is, and I don't <laughs> want to do that. Sure. But when I told him kind of what the twist was and I explained, like, the, the in my opinion, would be the better ways to execute it, he went, no, I completely see what you mean because that actually sounds kind of, like, cool. Huh. And it's like, yeah, it's it's a cool idea, and it's actually executed really well and – it has the world has enough to be phenomenal. It just doesn't tie it all together. Yeah, and it's kind of a bummer because of that. But it's not awful. It's watchable. <laughs> it's I just which don't... is kind of what everybody was what everybody was saying like kind of the last couple weeks before it came out was like we're making all this hubbub for a movie that's about to be like the midest movie of the it year. <laughs> it is, and I and I think the Rotten Tomatoes of like thirty six percent. It's like I feel like if you really just go into the reviews. Most people, I mean, my myself included, I think most people are kind of like in the two and a half out of five or five out of ten. Like, it's yeah. not awful, but, like, you don't need to see this in theaters. Yeah. Which is a bummer because Wilde's first film, Booksmart, is one of my favorite films when it came out of that year. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping her sophomore follow-up would just be really good. And right. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the next one's better because I – yeah, I think this is not going to be the end of her as a direct- director, and I'm glad. But True. yeah, it, the controversy was not worth it for a film like this. And <laughs> if you're seeing this film because of the controversy, it's not gonna it's not gonna really live up. To but it. but Logan was was Harry right? Was it a film that feels like a film? It sure does. Yeah, it really does. It really feels like a movie. Really, yeah. It just pulls you in. It makes you go, "Wow, I am sitting in a dark room with other people." <laughs> Watching a big screen and people talking. So I guess this wow. is a movie. They did it. They did it. They did it, Joe. Oh, God. All right, let's just get into this. Hello, yeah. everyone. 
and welcome to Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And on Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, we take a trio of films, whether tied by numerical order, cast and crew, thematic elements. We talk about each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And it's spooky season again. This is <laughs> our third, is this our third Halloween season? I think so. Oh my lord. Yeah. Because our first season, first we, season we did the Suspiria we did Suspiria, stuff. We did the Three Mothers trilogy. Last year we did uh, Exorcist. Yeah. And what else? My brain is... Uh, was the... Con- no, Conjuring was in the, in the summer. Yeah, Conjuring was in the summer because it was part of the HBO Shoot, Max what else same did we day. Do? Not, not, we probably had a good time with whatever we did watch. <laughs> but it's just like, The Exorcist does, did stick out. Oh, though. The Exorcist, um, the prequel. We did the prequels. Too. We did the Exorcist prequels as oh, well yeah. as the original trilogy. Yep. And those prequels fucking blew. But <laughs> thankfully today we are not talking about, you know, prequels. We are not talking about some, you know, standard or like kind of classic Halloween trilogy. I just remembered the what Apocalypse trilogy. The Apocalypse trilogy. We did the Exorcist those and then the prequels slapped. and then the Apocalypse. That trilogy. was a great time. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Uh, but today we are, I would say, if there's <laughs> any kind of fucking odd trilogy that's perfect for the Halloween season, yeah. that most people don't probably think is an odd trilogy, for honest, I mean, arguably, honestly, makes sense in terms of like forgettable <laughs> trilogies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are talking today about the Blair Witch trilogy. Yes. We are talking about 1999's The Blair Witch Project, 2000's. The Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, and 2016's Blair Witch. We are talking about a trilogy that uh, has no right being a trilogy, but hey, it's it's worth this. This is pretty much a trilogy that the show was made for. This yeah, yeah, the kind a, of trilogy where neither sequel justifies its existence, but here we are and we're going to talk about it. It really is just the situation of like, okay. You like this original. It is a classic in a modern sense. It's not even... The film's not even 30 years old yet. It definitely yeah. is 20 years old, 20 plus. Right. But it it begs the question, okay, maybe we could do a sequel if we wanted to. <laughs> and then you see what that ends up being. So to kind of get you up to speed in case you're out there and you haven't seen the Player Witch Project <laughs> and... Or if you don't know really the backstory behind it, the big part about the film is that it's the kind of the love child of directors Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Mm-hmm. They were students at the uh, University of Central Florida in the 90s. And pretty much the inspiration for the film is they just had a realization that when it came to modern horror, they were more scared of documentaries about, you know, the paranormal yeah more than just like the traditional horror yeah you're like narrative fiction yeah Yeah. so as as you know film students trying to make films and also do it on a ham sandwich budget (laughs) they craft a 35 page uh script that is mainly improv that's a lot of you know history of the blair witch their building of the universe like the the monster per se that these campers would be going up against and basically hired (laughs) three improv heavy actors or actors that are really good improv wise mm-hmm. and they went out in the woods in maryland shot for eight days <laughs> it came out with what is arguably one of the biggest hits in modern horror i think still to this day at least in terms of budget versus box office 
Yeah. Like payoff wise. Yeah. Cause the film itself, I mean, cause you might be wondering like, Oh, okay. How much does Blair Witch cost? And, and its initial production, I think it was about twenty five thousand. Yeah. And then it was up to about I think maybe half a million when it came to post production. Once it got picked up by Artisan. Right. And after Sundance, but like its full box office was I think close to two hundred and sixty. It was like just shy of two fifty. Yeah, yeah. two hundred fifty million off of at most yeah. five hundred twenty five thousand. Yeah. So I mean that's like a. 500 percent return on investment that is, or something that like. is exactly what any studio would want from a film like that times yeah and so it is a film that is exactly if you haven't seen it in a while it is exactly what you remember it being the question is okay it is the you know the not really the birth but the birth of the popularity of the sob genre of found footage yeah because Kinda i mean popularized it. yeah because again any film nerd out there who loves to, you know, correct people will say <laughs> there is Cannibal Holocaust right. decades prior. There's a few years prior to this is the last broadcast, which is a very much a similar film, but it's about the Jersey Devil. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yes, found footage did exist at this yeah. time, but Blair Witch practically served it on the platter for studios to be like, if you're looking for it. Yeah. You could do it. This created the boom. Yeah, the last paranormal activity doesn't exist because of right. the last broadcast. <laughs> right. It exists because of some because of Blair Witch because not only does Blair Witch hit in every single angle still to this day in terms of what it's trying to do narratively, the pacing, just the just how low tech it is. <laughs> yeah. To the to a degree where it's like it actually works in its favor that it's has horrible audio it's inaudible at times it's hard to see things the fact that you see nothing in a lot of it is a good thing because it's just like it adds to the hysteria i mean ultimately you see nothing in any of it no you don't don't. see you don't see the quote-unquote monster at all no you don't you don't see the blair witch you don't see any kind of because the thing too that's that is hard to think about now and we'll talk about it more with the sequels because it really shows why making a sequel to this film is very difficult. Is because yeah. this film did so well initially because, in a sense, it tricked the audiences, a lot of the audiences, into thinking that this was real. That to sure. an extent that this was not a mockumentary. Because this is. This is a mockumentary. These yeah, are it's actors entirely pretending. Fictional, yeah. It's entirely fictional. The Blair Witch is made up by Myrick and Sanchez, mm-hmm. and basically they made something that, to a degree, pushed, again, proto-Slenderman before something awful kind of like yeah. blew up in the 2000s. Like, this is just a spooky story where it's like they pretended that these three kids died in these woods, and yep. all they found were these tapes. I mean, it's so I mean, the, Yeah, the it's marketing so was literally ingenious. designed to make people unsure of whether it was real or fake uh they they i think they said it i mean it's essentially considered like the first internet marketed movie i think isn't it Um, arg isn't that the it's because it's yeah yeah but it's like basically the first movie to like they put most of their marketing on the internet they did a website they made fake police reports and put them on this website of these missing students people were like whoa this is wild they didn't even have a poster when they showed this at sundance when they showed this at sundance it was missing persons yeah it was it is so (laughs) 
ingenious and so insidious to a degree, and it's so good. It it really is the. It's one of those situations where it is understandable now that if someone tried to do this today and it didn't work, I could see a backlash. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, this is this only works during the height of the like. <laughs> early internet yeah i think still this, trying to figure out like what's real or not yeah i think it also space. only works once because yeah. like if somebody else tries this now people just laugh at them people just be like oh look at them pretending their movie's real this is I'm, stupid yeah i mean and then they go shit on the movie because they know it's not real the closest thing that i've personally seen get to this kind of like people excited about it was when cloverfield was initially kind of doing mm. its run but even then that was a monster movie through and through. Right, like people, yeah. it was not like people were believing New York <laughs> City got destroyed and no one right. saw it on TV. Like it, to an extent, it again there is that like that level of like dissonance where it's like this isn't real, immersive wise, but this is a fun kind of like adventure down a rabbit hole. Well, yeah. as with Blair Witch, there wasn't that screen. A lot of people, I think, at a certain point. 40% of America believed that this was real <laughs> at one point. I mean, I'm pretty sure on like the festival circuit, the filmmakers were pretty much telling people that it was real. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> they were lying. Yeah. Which is, again, it's not a bad thing. Because, again, if you, you, again, you think of yourselves as, like, as a film student with a cool killer idea, and you're like, how do you sell this film so yeah. well, but not in a way that is, like, slanderous or, like, you could get caught in controversy to, like, a bad degree. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we'll play with the audience. We will mm -hmm. play with people. And they do it in the best way possible. But you, I just saw a reaction well, from you. What do you see? I just came across a little, a little factoid here um, about the movie that said the IMDb page for the movie listed the actors as quote missing, presumed dead, for a year after it released. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> that is incredible. IMDb was in cahoots. Just I I keep forgetting how old IMDb is. Right. Where it's yeah. like because I I always just assumed it was like oh it was probably created in like 2005 2006. Yeah. No, it was still it was around. Yes. And ultimately, what comes out of all this, you know, killer marketing, this just kind of this blend of reality and fiction in terms of oh is this real is this not? Mm -hmm. What it comes down to is a film that even now, watching it, knowing that it's not real. That doesn't stop you from being nervous, doesn't stop you from being tired, doesn't stop you from watching the film and just being like, oh, fuck, I don't, I know nothing's going to show up, but like, I'm not, I don't need, I don't need to see anything spooky <laughs> right now. The, the noises are enough. Like, it yeah. really is like, it is a film that is showing, not telling so hard. <laughs> yeah. When it's, it's, it's. With so little. Yeah. It's super, I, I think a key part of the like enjoying the movie now like in 2022 this many years on is like this is one of those you really got to put yourself i mean almost kind of like <laughs> clerks um you kind of got to put mm -hmm. yourself you in know the in the time and place um just because you know horror movies and even just the found footage subgenre have come so far in terms of not quality but um you know like the amount they're able to pull off on mm -hmm. a handheld camera with yeah. a shoestring budget, you know, the fantastical things that they've been able to do in the found footage genre, that this really does feel quaint com by compare compared oh. to like a lot of its successors. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's just one of the things you got to remember. It's like this was, I mean, you know, not the first found footage, but it was cutting edge stylistically. And the yeah. fact that it shows so little, especially at the time, but I think even still today, it really works in its favor. Oh my Cause God. Because it, it's a movie that, um, you know, it makes me think of like, even though this is not Hitchcockian at all in like visual execution, it no. reminds me of Hitchcock in that it's like, it's all about forcing the viewer to paint a picture in their mind. Yeah. Like you're not showing anything. You're just making the, the viewer imagine things. And that's the scary yeah. part. I mean, one of the most iconic moments from this film is Heather's face up close to a the lens saying that she's going to die out here. And there's just a part of your brain where even this is like maybe the fifth or sixth time I've seen this film, yeah. even knowing nothing shows up in the background behind her. The fact that there's so much darkness behind her, mm-hmm. you're just worried something, even the smallest thing will poke your head in and make yeah. you shit yourself. And it's just, it's that, it is that towing that line. It is just right there where it's like, I know something's not there, but what if there was? Yeah. <laughs> and how would that be? And how would that really, how would that affect me? Right, <laughs> Just right. watching this and being like, even knowing that it is just actors who are really good at improv and really feeling very naturalistic and arguably, and I think this is something that like the found footage subgenre will have an issue with almost like not even a decade later from this point where it's like in this subgenre, a lot of people watch these films and go, yeah, I'm enjoying this, but really realistically, why the fuck is this person not dropping a camera? Mm-hmm. Why are they still filming when right, they know that they yeah. shouldn't do that? And it's what's great about Blair Witch, the old the Blair Witch Project, I have to clarify because we do <laughs> actually have a film in the trilogy called Blair Witch. But in the Blair Witch Project, it does a great job of establishing the reason why Heather doesn't put down the, the camera is because while it might sound pretentious, in her mind, it keeps her from associating with reality. It disassociates herself yeah. from the reality that she might not see, and she might not get out of these woods. She might die. Yeah. And there's a great moment in the film when Josh, one of the other guys that is with Heather, because there's only three characters. Yeah. It's Josh, Michael, and Heather. Mm-hmm. When Josh, who is definitely having the worst time out of the three <laughs> of them, gets the camera. He starts to understand and says out loud why he he finally gets why Heather won't put the camera down. Because the majority of the middle of the film is just Michael and Josh telling Heather to put the camera (laughs) down. But then realizing the fact that, like, Heather is just having just of a hard time as the two guys. She just has the camera to buffer in between. Yeah. And and that's a good excuse to have those. And I think it's not until probably... I would probably say paranormal activity where it's like the way they get around that is like, oh, they're security cameras. Right, right. Or like they're sleeping. But yeah. even then, I would say, like, again, I've seen paranormal activity several times since it initially came out. And while I still think that is still a good movie, I do think it hasn't aged as well as this has. Right, yeah. And I think a lot of that is because, like, there is still watching paranormal activity one. There is a crispness. There is a feeling of, like, this doesn't feel as natural or as naturalistic as it yeah. should if it's, like, a found footage, like, yeah. we found this. We found these tapes in this house Yeah, I mean, the par- scenario. Yeah, paranormal activity also is goes a little bit more for 
shock value. Yes. The jump yes. scares and that sort of thing. This <laughs> this doesn't I mean, this barely even has like fake jump scares. No. It I mean, there's like maybe one or two times where it like kinda tries to startle you, make make you think something's it has stick- bumping up to the camera, but there's nothing. It has twig dolls and piles of rocks. Yeah, it's just ominous. And also cackling. I Yeah. Do you know how they did that cackling? I love this. Uh-uh. Boom boxes. <laughs> they, they played it on yes, boomboxes outside on boom, the tent. Yeah, so apparently the way that it worked out is like both directors were out there with the actors. Like all yeah. the camera work is done by the actual actors. I think they did have a cinematographer that I think was there from time to time. Probably just but, like advising them how to use it. And yeah, stuff. Ba- basically they were far away from the actors. The actors did their own thing. They shot like pretty much the entire time, like days. Of course, they were out there for eight days. They yeah. shot for the majority of the days. They would go to sleep, and then that's when, again, it's all improv, and they're actually sleeping outside. They would play boom boxes at full volume super far away, so there's that echo. (laughs) And they also, because there's a scene in the film where it's implied that ghosts are fucking with their tent. Yeah. They did not tell the actors that they were going to do that, <laughs> so they just like snuck up to the actors and just started fucking with the tent. Yeah, and the actors just had to react. Jesus. And apparently, they also like the way that they also did it because again, it's so improv that like every day that they would do a new day of shooting, both the directors would come up to each character with envelopes saying, "This is where your character's at today. <laughs> Go from there. Write it. Just run it from there." A and prompt. Just, yeah, it really is just a prompt. And apparently, when they were doing the uh, the audition process for Heather, Michael, and Josh, they basically gave them, like, they they started off with, like, giving them improv prompts. Yeah. Where it's like, where it's like, you're on seven years of your nine-year sentence, and now you're trying to get on parole. Yeah, explain to me why you shouldn't. Explain to me why you shouldn't. Like, you should. Yeah. And it's like, they pick the three people that just handle it the best. Yeah. And they do. Oh, my God. Just Heather... <laughs> Heather just saying I'm going to die out here as she is snotting and <laughs> yeah. crying. It's not running down uh, her face, God. Her yelling Josh, just just the blood curdling Josh I can hear in the back uh-huh. of my brain. Her I didn't even realize this until this viewing, and it really made me just appreciate the dedication to like keeping the naturalistic like authenticity of like keeping the found footage aspect where it's like at the very end of the film. There is a moment, the the climax of the film, where they have to, where they're trying to find Josh in what I believe I think most people I think they've 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 said it's Rustin Parr's house. Yeah. Uh, they go into Rustin Parr's house, who is like a, a victim of the witch, who ultimately kills seven kids out of eight, and the eighth one was basically told to stand in a corner and listen and don't look. Yeah. Which ultimately is why. When Michael gets killed, he gets put in the corner, and mm-hmm. that's one of the most iconic shots of this fucking film. But during that run, I completely forgot that, like, the whole thing about the cameras they're using is that only one of the cameras records audio, and that's the camcorder. Oh, yeah. The black and white camera doesn't record audio. Oh. So when Michael dies, all the audio that we hear is from the camcorder from afar. Oh, and that okay. makes that shit scarier yeah. because we're hearing a more kind of strained sounds more deranged version of heather because we're getting a mic that is not with her yeah so when she dies it's creepier and scarier because it's like you're hearing someone die from across a room Mm -hmm. it's like you can't see them and it's like that's so 
good. And, then, <laughs> and it's like it's one of those things where it's like if they said, oh, we didn't really think about it like that. It just kind of right. worked out like that. Even then, good Still on you for committing to it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the type of film where like there is a lore to this world. There is a bunch of instances involving the Blair Witch, like a little girl drowning at Corpse Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coffin Rock. Coffin Rock, thank you. Corpse Rock sounded weird. There was uh, <laughs> the witch herself has a name, and there's also a lore surrounding how she died and how she yeah. was. The, the, the methods of her death, you know, there's the Rust and Parr incident. There are years that, like, you know, Sanchez and Myrick kind of built out, mm-hmm. which is really good. I think it really does help because when it comes to the very beginning of the film, because, again, another reason why I think this works better than most found footage films and also works better than both of its sequels is that for the first 30 minutes – it is a student film documentary. Yeah, yeah. There's there it is it is shot and edited like a student film documentary. <laughs> yeah. The the locals even though there were definitely some of them that feel like well some of them were actors, they were planted actors by the directors. Right. Most of those people were from Burkittsville. Mm-hmm. And so it just feels so much more naturalistic. It just feels like no one's playing it up until you get to the fishermen, which I'm pretty sure one or both <laughs> those fishermen are planted. Yeah. But they're fun. They're yeah. they're a fun addition. And so like it basically is just your standard student documentary until they get into the woods <laughs> and then it just goes downhill yeah. in the best way. Yeah. And I mean what really just shows in, in at least in this in uh viewing for me how the, the staying power of the film is that my girlfriend had never seen this film. Yeah. She had never seen it. She had, she had known about it, but didn't really know. I think, I think the iconography, she kind of knew viv- like vaguely. Mm-hmm. And after we watched this film, she was fucking shook. <laughs> <laughs> she was just like not having a good time. Yeah. And it just shows that it's like, you know, a lot of these films, even people who, I mean, when people really like more modern horror, even if it's more telegraphed or whatnot, it shows that even with kind of like that modern sensibilities, it can still get people. Yeah. And it really does. And I think it, this is a film that deserves kind of like its staple as like one of the best of the 90s as well as like a quintessential one for like the transition into the 21st century. Sure. Because like from that point forward, it's like even films that are like not even the same horror-wise kind of take elements from this film. Mm-hmm to its kind of benefit and i mean i don't know i feel like i'm talking too much i mean you tell you tell me what what are some moments that i haven't brought up what's your favorite michael moment name five of your favorite michael moments (laughs) besides throwing the map away top five my oh god yeah that was that that moment made my made my butthole clench because i completely forgot that he does that because it's yeah because i mean it's one of those where you're watching the movie knowing you're watching a horror movie and to hear somebody say that say i threw the map away <laughs> you feel what uh what uh, uh heather, heather and, josh. and josh are thinking you're just like what the fuck is there's, wrong with there's you? silence like, is yeah. deafening yeah that and um when they realize they've like spent the whole day hiking in a circle is oh. just like a your heart drops into your stomach moment oh it's so good of it's like, so good uh like i can i don't know that i like i've definitely never been <laughs> lost in the woods to the degree they are um but i have you know been on hikes or runs or whatever in places that i'm unfamiliar with uh 
and and totally gotten turned around and like to spend even like an hour or two hours trying to figure out where you're at and not being able to <laughs> is like debilitating it's paralyzing oh i believe so, yeah like for them to just yeah basically the implication is they've hiked all day and they hike right back to the spot where they set up camp the night before <sighs> and it's it's just like uh you, you get goosebumps you feel yeah. dread you feel kind of sick i mean one of the biggest dread moments for me is just josh sitting by himself and you can't even see him like he's just he is just defeated yeah he has no cigarettes. They have no food. <laughs> he is losing it, and they yeah. and that I think it happens like a day or so after that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's just like Michael now has become the voice of reason, where mm-hmm. it's like Heather just he he needs to just be sad yeah. <laughs> for like a moment. Let him be. Yeah. It's I mean it's also it's ninety minutes. Yeah. Can we? Uh, watching enough of these films on this podcast we we appreciate a trilogy that is a tight 90 across the board yeah especially when it's a good tight 90 like this right where it's like 82 minutes oh great phenomenal love it i could watch three hour films in a trilogy sure but i i wouldn't want to compared to like a 90 minute you know trilogy like a trilogy you can knock out in an evening is a plus experience beautiful why do you think we love Kung Fu Panda so much. There's a lot of reasons why, but those movies are like tight is 90s. That, is that the, the best tight 90 trilogy we've done? I think so. It, it has be. to be. It has yeah. to be. They're so At bad. least of the ones we've watched all in one go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if all three of the before films were tight 90s, then that would take over. <laughs> but I think the one of I think the last thing, Midnight, pushes into two hours. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's again, we, we, run, we run into this from time to time, especially with films like this, where it's like, it's the Blair Witch trilogy. Yeah, it's the Blair Witch Project. It is the film that was popularized. You know, the camcorder shakiness. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, <laughs> it's funny what I think of in Scary Movie when they make fun of this. Like it's the same year that Scary Movie comes out, <laughs> yeah. and they have the scene where the newscaster is like dripping snot on the lens, where it's like <laughs> making fun of that shit. But it's like yeah. it is so wild to think about how this film just has such a huge turnaround from like a midnight staple at Sundance, like almost Mm. immediately to becoming like in the span of, I think six months goes from that to becoming one of the biggest films of the summer in 99. Yeah. And then comes a year later. (laughs) Yeah. It's time we need to, I (laughs) have so much to talk about with Blair Witch two because Blair Witch two is genuinely one of those films we have we've had a lot of these films on the podcast but a film that is so fascinating on a production standpoint yeah because what's so crazy about this film is that i have heard that they started filming this film like three months after Mm -hmm. blair witch project came out i've also heard that they actually didn't film until february the year it came out (laughs) so it's like the turnaround time is screamed two levels of holy shit how'd you do that yeah in terms of just like in the span of because i think it comes out october of 2000 Mm. so it is like a year in three months so it's about so it's about 15 months after the release of blair witch project so a big thing we need to talk about in terms of the process for blair witch 2 is that blair witch project was uh produced mainly by Haxon Films, which is Myrick, Sanchez, and a bunch of other friends I think they had at University of Central Florida. Yeah. And it's inspired, and it's named after 
the kind of classic horror film from the 20s, Haxen, and I don't think I'm saying it correctly, but if you look up H-A-X-E-N, you will kind of show, mm-hmm. it'll show up. But they produced the film. They put it together with their own money, and they were able to get that film out. Once it hits Sundance, it becomes a midnight classic almost immediately. Artisan Films picks it up, yeah. produces, like distributes the film, but also picks up the brand itself, I think the IP. Because when it comes to the conversation where artisans like, hey, Sanchez and Myrick, we want to make a Blair Witch 2 immediately. We have to jump on this popularity because, holy fuck, people believe this is real. People are, like, swarming Burkittsville just to, like, be in the Black Hills Forest. Like, <laughs> this is a phenomenon that is going to probably not last yeah. as much as maybe we want it to. So maybe we should capitalize on it. And both Sanchez and Myrick were like, we would rather have the, we would like to, if we want to make a sequel, we want it to die down and have the time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But then Artisan says, well, we have the rights, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so they make three scripts, all just called Blair Witch Chill to a degree, and they hire documentary director Joe Berlinger who is mainly known for the documentary Paradise Lost, which I need to see. It's been on the watch list for a while. It's uh, about three kids who were wrongly accused of a triple homicide. Uh-huh. And he it's his first – Blair Witch 2, Book, <laughs> Book of Shadows is his first narrative at yeah. this point in his career. He's basically brought on board and is like, hey, which one of these three scripts would you like to do for Blair Witch 2? And he said none of them. Scrapped all three of them. <laughs> And basically came up with, which I think is pretty fucking ingenious, an idea of, like, a sequel that's really a, it's not a sequel of the actual narrative in the first Blair Witch. It is a sequel to the hype, the idea of media cross with fiction and just kind of blurring those lines, especially when it comes to the marketing for the first film, where people still believed by the time they're in production of two that this was real. Yeah. So Berlinger, being the documentary filmmaker that he is, was more interested in talking about like people who were just inspired and are just so brought up into the whirlwind that is the Blair Witch kind of hype right. that they just kind of lose themselves in that fiction rather than staying in reality. Yeah. Which is a fascinating take on a sequel. However, what <laughs> happens is they shoot some stuff in Burkittsville to get kind of like, because the film starts off with some documentary style kind of opening they weren't able to shoot a lot because they were literally pushed out of town yeah they burkittsville was fucking sick (laughs) of blair witch hype almost out the gate because you just had so many tourists coming through and just kind of taking a pretty small quaint town and turning it into a hub of just like people obsessed with witches that didn't exist Mm -hmm. and so ultimately what you get is Joe Berliner makes the film that he wants to make, sends it into the studio. Studio fucking hates it. Yeah. <laughs> so there are, it's recut, reshot. It becomes, out of all three of these films, the highest budget <laughs> is $15 million in 2000. It's around, that's with inflation, $26 million today. And it... It gets to a point, This is the, my favorite fucking tidbit about this film is that there are some intercut scenes throughout <laughs> the film of people getting slaughtered. Yeah. It was added weeks before the film was released in theaters, and they were shot in the director's backyard 
basically forced the studio forced him to shoot these scenes. Yeah, and then they're like cut randomly into the like throughout the film. They're yeah. like interspliced into it. Yeah, and so after all that, after all the decisions to make it more of a traditional horror film, to make it more punk rather than what Berlinger's original vision was, to basically make a very kind of not somber but like a kind of like a more fun upbeat beginning and then just like devolve into madness yeah it's more of a punk film do you know what the this is a shows again where there is a dissonance between the studio and berliner uh do you know what berliner wanted the opening song to be for the film like Mm -mm. the opening no witchcraft by frank sinatra (laughs) what is actually the opening song for this. It's Marilyn Isn't Manson. It Ma- yeah, Marilyn Manson, Manson song. I think yeah. it's Disposable Teens. Yeah, and it's vastly, <laughs> vastly different tonally. Yeah, you go from a film that is trying to kind of be cheeky about like, oh, look at all these people that are just hyped about Blair Witch. Yeah. It's like everyone's talking about witchcraft and stuff. To a film that is trying too hard to appeal to the youth almost yeah. immediately, and what you get as a final product is by far one of my favorite So Bad Good films I've seen in a long time. <laughs> this fucking film is awful. Horrendous. And I love it. Yeah. It is astounding. <laughs> the yeah. choices that are made. Like, I really hope, because at this point, this film has now become a cult classic to an extent where, like, people want a Snyder cut to an extent of like (laughs) the Berlinger. They they want Berlinger's, they want Berlinger's cut. And apparently Berlinger has actually revealed, like released his director's notes in terms of how he would edit it. Yeah. And so people have edited it in a way that is closer to his vision. But even then, even with that, there are choices made in the initial production that I still think would have just not yeah. worked in terms of I, what it's trying to do. I still don't think this would have been a good movie with his <laughs> his full control. I think it's a far more like fascinating bad movie oh, with yeah. the studio interference. But, oh yeah. Uh, woof, I, I yeah. can't think of a film that is trying to be like go into full blown madness, almost like almost like in the mouth of madness like carpenter's film in that kind of like where it wants to go tonally yeah when you have a fucking sheriff character that is just absolutely (laughs) comedic yeah the funniest fucker in this entire film that has doesn't even say things that are funny it is the way he says it. yeah in a funny way it is there's literally a scene where he is calling the characters about a a five like a a five murders yeah (laughs) And he is so silly the entire time. He is literally waving at the camera as the newscaster is trying to talk about these horrific deaths. And the film, can you, I want you to explain what the plot is. I want, um, I want, you, to, I want you to explain to everybody. Yeah, well, I want to. What the fuck? I, I should start by saying I can only imagine how deflating the open opening, like, title card text cards of this movie were for people fans of the original who sit down to watch Blair oh, Witch yeah. 2 and the movie this sequel to a film that capitalized on the power the vagary of its realness you know the mm-hmm. the is this real did this actually happen is it based on something the sequel like the first thing you see in this movie is a text card telling you this is a reenactment <laughs> 
of events that happened. And it's just like, wow, that takes all power out of everything I'm about to see. And it also was completely against Berliner. (laughs) Because Berliner genuinely, and I think that also would have made his cut would have been so much more fascinating in this degree where he genuinely didn't like how the first film marketed itself. Sure. Yeah. He, as a documentary filmmaker, he, I yeah, didn't I think, think he liked a fictional film pretending to be real. Yeah. And so it was why I think it kind of, he went in the opposite direction. Yeah, it spearheaded his idea of like, I want to do a film that is for like talking about how that can prey on people and like kind of, yeah, blur that line and then the studio just fucking lies <laughs> and changes it yeah. apparently, apparently the director's commentary of the film was just berliner going yeah this wasn't my decision i don't like this <laughs> like he's just kind of like being as nice as he can be but also just shitting on the studio choices yeah oh my god it is it's also there's no book of shadows Right. There's no Book of Shadows. It's Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. There's no Book of Shadows. <laughs> don't mention it. Yeah. There's no Book. If it was like the Tape of Shadows. Right, yeah. The Tapes the, of Shadows. The Tour of Shadows. The Tour of Shadows. Yeah. Anything else would be better than a fucking book that doesn't exist Yeah. The, in this film. Yeah, basically the, like, the premise is that like in the months following... Uh, the release of the Blair Witch Project, which yes. they, they talk about as a movie in the world of this movie. It's a film within a film. Yeah. Um, I, I, essentially, I think they're kind of claiming that the the events of Book of Shadows take place in our world, the real world, you know, and therefore the mm-hmm. Blair Witch Project exists as a movie in that world. Basically, in the months following that, there's a whole Blair Witch craze. People go to Burkittsville trying to find out more about the witch. They try and go into the woods and that sort of thing and take home rocks and keepsakes and that sort of thing. And the the locals of Burkittsville kind of take advantage of that. And they just take rocks out of their backyard and sell them online (sighs) as Blair Witch rocks. Um, And then... uh, there's this basically this guy Jeff who's played by Jeffrey Donovan of Burn Notice fame, um, uh, who, uh, who's this punk guy and and um, he's recently out of a psychiatric facility. Yes, he's um, he's uh, a year out from being in a, a mental hospital. Yeah. Um, the thing about that too is Berliner wanted that to be kind of like brought at the very end. Yeah. Wanted to const again. Berliner wanted the film to be more of like a slow burn that is sl- yeah. slowly descending into madness, making you question your own kind be of more vague. Yeah, be more vague. And ultimately, what happens is with the studio cuts, it's just <laughs> explain oh, it all. Yeah. Right oh, away. Immediately. <laughs> it's also very confusing because as soon as you meet him in the film, it is shot like. A documentary in terms yeah of you like meet him as like one of the weird locals of yeah, burkittsville because he is a burkittsville shot. local in yeah. the film and then it just goes one year earlier and then it's just these hardcore like he's spinning in a yeah. padded room yeah these doctors are shoving a tube up his it, nose it looks and, like a marilyn manson music video yes um, and it i think it's meant to yeah. look like that because yeah. that's what the studio thinks the kids <laughs> want at the time but yeah basically and, he starts like a tour group or like yeah kind of you know company yeah. of doing tours in in the the blair woods i can't remember the actual name of the woods but um, Bl- uh black hills the yeah black forest, the black forest hills and gets like kind of an eclectic group of people together who want to go on this tour there's a um 
well, there's a couple who kind of disagree about yeah. supernatural theory and that yeah. sort of thing. They're where, they're writing a book about the Blair Witch. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, the the boyfriend, doesn't believe in the Blair Witch, mm-hmm. while as Tristan believes in the the power of mythology and right. how like even if the the Blair Witch per se isn't verbatim what people say that people believing in that could ultimately yeah. craft uh, a reality. Yeah. Like They're basically what, like researching yeah. the relationship of mythology and, and hysteria mm-hmm. and like mass media. Um, yeah, she's got, also pregnant. Yes. Which is an important detail. And then, yeah, uh, yeah you've got a, a, a Wiccan, Erica. Erica. Um, who is, who is who, kind of upset about how the first film slandered the reputation of you know witches and that sort of thing every of the main actors is in some way shape or form supposed to be a response a response to you know jeff is supposed to be the entrepreneur that takes advantage of people in terms of the blair witch hype like andy said erica is a wiccan that doesn't like you know the kind of the false advertising and kind of the negative connotation Mm -hmm. that the blair witch project proceeds which is a true in terms of like the wiki sure. community in real life was not a fan of just how they portrayed <laughs> witchcraft in that yeah. way and then you have you know steven and tristan who are the intellectuals right yeah and then we have the quintessential goth yes. of the late 90s early 2000s which is kim uh-huh. who portrays the outsider yeah who and just, also has like psychic abilities seemingly. God, I'm it's so fun that she just like loses them halfway through the film <laughs> because at a certain point she goes from having like a uh, like a third eye kind of foresight to just completely not knowing what reality is anymore. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't explain itself as to why she would have lost an ability like that. <laughs> but whatever. Maybe yeah. it's the owls who's yeah. to say. But they go they go this group of uh, this eclectic collection of uh, misfits, yeah, curious misfits. They go and like camp in the supposed ruins of Rustin Parr's house, which is the supposedly the house at the end of the original film. Which is hilarious because in the end of the original film, it's like still a standing house. Yeah, and then in and Blair Witch Two, later. yeah, months later, Blair Witch Two, the house just doesn't exist it's anymore. Foundations. Yeah. yeah, it's like barely. There's like maybe a wall, <laughs> but it's very very small. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's also a tree that has grown out of it, which plays oh, a part yeah, yeah. in like their their psyche in terms of yeah. what they're seeing. But they like go out there, and th- another tour group tries to come out, and yeah. they basically try to like scare them off. And which which has wonderful. Uh, Chinese stereotypes. Yes, yeah. I can't. I don't understand when it came to because yeah, the those are supposed to uh, signify like the international appeal of <laughs> the Blair Witch Project. But what's so funny is like there's a European tourist and she speaks German. German, I, believe. I think. Yeah, yeah. She it shows she is subtitled, but then when the Chinese <laughs> tourists speak, it is broken English and yeah. is just kind of like it has like city walk vibes to it and i and i feel like come they couldn't just speak chinese mm-hmm. it feels a little, i mean again and nine in 2000 no one probably gave a shit yeah it's just now looking back it's just dated this film <laughs> all the more just to yeah. see that approach yeah but yeah there's another tour group that is i think they're the, the 
because like Jeff's is like the Blair Witch Hunt. Yeah, and, and there's, there's like Blair Witch tour. Walks or yeah, Tour yes. or something. Yeah, um, which is oh my god. But yeah, the Jeff and crew basically drive them off, and then uh, set about drinking and doing drugs and having a a night of raucous fun in the in the ruins of Rustin Parr's house. Um, they they make fun, or at least Stephen makes fun of the original Blair Witch. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, there there is like I think there is like an actual knock knock joke that he tells involving Heather, <laughs> and it just is like. I don't believe that this is a real thing that is being talked about at this time. <laughs> and they, yeah, they're talking about, you know, you know, the Wiccan community. Cause of course, Eric is talking about kind of her background and, yeah. and you just, you basically, it's, it's a night of debauchery where they're all having fun. But at the same time, you also have like a bit of tension because, you know, Tristan at this point is outed by the psychic <laughs> that she's pregnant. Yeah. And then she starts, drinking mm-hmm. at the campfire and it's like and steven goes hey i think you've had too much and it's like i think she might she, she probably shouldn't drink right <laughs> she, you should have talked about this, right, right yeah maybe this is not gonna turn out well yeah. and um it doesn't because in what happens is in a very hangover-esque manner yeah three hours have been lost of their kind of like they've blacked out so bad that three hours are lost from their memory, and the only thing that they have left are tapes that were buried mysteriously. All, yeah. all their camera work and all their paperwork and everything, all the research that Stephen and Tristan brought, are all destroyed. Yeah. The only thing that remains are these tapes that Kim psychically knew were in a hole <laughs> in the corner of Rustin Parr's not a house anymore. Right. And also, Tristan has a miscarriage. Yes. Which apparently that is the only bit of her having blood on her pants to signify the miscarriage was the only thing that the studio hated and tried to push Joe Berlinger to take off, <laughs> like graphic wise. Think think about that. They ask him to have all these like horrible like massacre scenes mm-hmm. of like heads getting bashed in, like yeah. getting sliced open and whatnot to add some more like gr- like grittiness to yeah. it. But like, nah, she can't. She yeah. can't have blood on her pants. Yeah, from that's a too serious. That's too serious for this. <laughs> too film. dark. Yes, I mean it's very dark. It is dark. It, it happens. Like... It also happens after a wild vision-like nightmare where she drowns her child in the river, <laughs> yeah. and it's clearly a baby doll. Yeah, and it's that is funny, but at the same time, <laughs> it's also like, wow, I can't believe this is the film that's trying to do this. Yeah, it also has a little girl that walks backwards. In a very, uh, oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> are it's you slowly, real, you're real slowly remembering. Sequence. Yeah. Oh, I'm, here's, yeah. My brain the, immediately like pitched half yeah. of this movie here's, after I watched yeah, it. Here's the fun thing. Coming here's back. the fun thing about this conversation is that when Andy watched, uh, the first two of these films at the mm-hmm. same time, I watched Blair Witch Project and then the 2016 film. Cause I didn't want to subject my girlfriend to <laughs> book of shadows because yeah. you can really just skip book of shadows Unless you really want to see some delightful trash, which is what this film is. <laughs> and so, like, I just watched Book of Shadows yesterday, so it's yeah. very vivid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was having a blast. I All the way up to an ending that I cannot believe just ends. 
Mm-hmm. I was having such a good time. And the funniest fake hanging I think I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, delightful. The Del- most obvious back harness oh. of any cinematic hanging. Well, no, it's, she's she's a witch. What are you talking <laughs> Or maybe she isn't. Yeah. Because that's the whole thing, too, is in Berliner's initial vision, he wanted the film to not necessarily say it's like, you know, a, it's a, a mass hysteria and that there's really no witch involved. He wanted that to be a part into it, but he wanted it to be more ambiguous, where it's mm-hmm. like, if you wanted to believe it was mass hysteria that led these five to ultimately just do horrible things, then you can believe that. Or yeah. if you want to believe that the witch actually exists, then hey, that's a part of the kind of the narrative too about the blur between reality and fiction. The the studio cut does not do that. No. <laughs> the studio cut basically like tells you that it's one over the other but goes hey maybe and it's like no there's no maybe you've made it pretty fucking clear yeah that they just they all went crazy it doesn't make <laughs> and it also doesn't make any sense but you know that's kind of what happens when you edit it the way that you do with this yeah. but oh let's think of some other phenomenal moments in this film uh the the scene where kim is uh, jeff sees kim eat an owl Oh, that is a when she's eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) It is hilarious that his brain goes from a chicken wing to a full blown owl just getting eaten. Yeah, by Kim. Very funny. Um, There's a great moment where Kim sees Jeff in an electric chair. It's it's so telegraphed that obviously he's going to turn around and something weird's going to happen, but it's so fucking left field. Yeah, it's wild. Let's see. The bridge falling is great. And the bridge just explodes. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that Jeff's uh, apartment is an old factory that he bought for a dollar. Yeah. And it's this massive building. That he also hides all of totally not the things he's stolen (laughs) is great. Uh, God. I'm trying to think of. I mean, there's again, there's a lot of people of this film is now 22 years old and it's been around a long time, long enough that like people have, you know, talked about the there are horror influences in the film. There is, you know, there is a dog's barking motif with Jeff's uh, alarm system. And that's Uh, a a reference to the omen. Play it backwards is an exorcist, not a, you know, reference. There's there's an evil dead reference thrown in there. And so it's just like. Of course, you know, it's Berliner having a fun time, and it's clear yeah. that, like, you know, it's not like the film is saying horror is bad or anything like that, but it's pretty clear that there is a dissonance between what one person wants and what a studio wants. Yeah. And ultimately what you get is just a banger of a batshit film. <laughs> Where it's just like just I, a I, fucking mess of ideas too. God, when they when you when you finally kind of see because the big reveal too, and it actually played into the marketing for this film because there also was a marketing campaign for two very similar to one where it was basically like you had to find all these reverse words and if you put yeah. them all together, it became like a secret phrase or something. And apparently, all these reverse words are also in the fucking film. <laughs> Like there, one of the one of the words is shown like there's a shot of a campfire and when like a fire like a piece of fire kind of bellows in the foreground. Apparently that has a word if you pause oh, it in the geez. right place. There's a lot of shit in this film that's like it's clear that like there is effort put into this film. Yeah, there is absolutely there's it's like moments made for nerds, but yeah, it's, terribly. 
it's also the fact that like these actors at times do feel like they're trying. <laughs> I mean, like I mean, Jeffrey Donovan is a good actor. Yeah, he is. He's, I love that man's I mustache in Sicario, I and say I also it's necessarily a great performance here, but he's no, trying. He is. I. I mean, again, uh, he's he's got a, his mustache does a great job in Sicario, and he's a <laughs> wonderful man. I just hear Michael Weston every time he talks because yeah. Burn Notice is such a banging show. Yeah, but just ultimately, like, I mean. Kim just kills it as the goth chick. It's just like <laughs> it's watches like you gave some people complexes because it just you are you seem like the quintessential goth in every yeah. way. Uh, Erica's great uh, in terms of just like kind of doing the like the Wiccan. Uh, I don't know. She she very much gets the vibe off. Out of all the characters, I think she definitely gets her vibe the best in terms of yeah. like selling selling what she's trying to represent like demographic right. wise right. you know steven and tristan just have to be normal people mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like they're not really doing much steven actually i think hits his high marks in a so bad it's good film when he is like deranged <laughs> yeah there's a when they finally watch uh the tapes because the big twist of the film is that they have to watch the films yeah. the tapes in reverse there's just you know you see that like they basically fall into complete madness where they go from drinking and smoking to getting naked and acting like animals to a full-blown orgy and in that orgy scene there's just like a shot of steven having sex with erica and it's so hilarious just like he is he looks like he's punching a brick wall (laughs) just the intensity of just the action the acting it is so funny just to see just them devolve into madness. It's also funny to think that like the way that the studio cuts the film, it automatically just tells the audience, Oh, these guys have done something Yeah. because the tapes don't show them murdering the, you know, the, out of the, out of the, the non-American tourists and the other tour group. They don't, the tapes don't show that the tapes just show them going crazy and fucking and getting swords and blades out of nowhere and running Mm -hmm. away. You don't see them kill people. But of course, you know, the studio is like, no, you have to make it cooler and edgier and make it more obvious. And so immediately in the film, they just start card cutting to like just horrible graphic moments yeah, that are hilarious. Stabbed and cut and it's like, and... and also in a baffling way, one of the decisions of the film that Berliner wanted to happen was basically have it straightforward narratively, where basically the very end of the film would be like, eight minutes of just interrogations of all the surviving members of the of the crew because at the end of the film only three of the five people remain but the way that the fucking studio cut the film you know who survives because they're the only people that have interviews Mm -hmm. and so and they show that halfway through the fucking film so you know jeff survives you know, Steven survives, and you know, Kim survives. So your process of elimination goes, oh, okay. So yep. the two other women don't make it. <laughs> okay, how do they not make it? And then it's just like, oh, Erica went naked and disappeared, and now she's dead in the in corner. The closet. But hey, she's in the corner, like Michael in the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. I remember. And then Tristan gets hung, totally real hung. Definitely, yeah. it's not. Oh, a, yeah. It's not. It's, no harnesses used. Oh, uh, I love. Oh God, I love it though. Where it's like what they see, where, they, where it's like she's like egging them on. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. when you see like what really happened, where she's just like letting this all happen to her. She's not <laughs> trying to run away or anything. She's yeah. just pleading. And it's like 
What are you doing? Yeah. You know they're trying to kill. It's like, <laughs> what is happening? Um, <laughs> well, and like, I don't, it's such a, f- I don't know. This movie's so funny because like after the, after their drunken night of debauchery, uh, like the movie almost just like, I mean, you mentioning Erica's death and being in the corner rem- reminded me of this, but like basically stops having anything to do with Blair Witch stuff. They just go insane in yeah. a warehouse the rest of the movie. And then it's like, oh, what did it's, they do? There's only it, every time it does reference because there are. Yeah, moments. It, it references it, yeah. but it's yeah. all soup. It's all dialogue and, and superficial. Because something that I didn't catch on to, because why the fuck would I catch on to it with a film like this? Where it's like there is a mechanic that is working at a grocery store that is working on yeah. the refrigerator and it is supposed to be Rustin Parr. It's supposed to be his <laughs> ghost. And the reason why you know is because in the, I believe it was the marketing for the first film, they established that when Rustin Parr killed all those kids and he left to go back into Burkittsville, he said, I'm finished. She's done. And he says those same lines in Book yeah, of Shadows. Yeah. And again, if you're a big fucking nerd that was a big part, <laughs> like at the, at the time when the marketing was coming out and you knew all that shit, yeah. maybe that made you go, oh! And just like you yeah, saw that, right. but like you don't <laughs> know that because again, in the first Blair Such Witch, a small detail. Yeah, in the Blair Witch Project, they give you the not in the bad way, but the too long didn't read versions of pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. Little girl drowned a coffin rock. Rustin Park killed seven out of eight kids. The one the one kid mm-hmm. had to stay in the corner so he didn't look. Uh, is it Eileen Trey? No, no, no. That's the little girl. Uh, I whoever the the Blair Witch's name is. Oh yeah. Uh, but you hear about her and how she died, and that's it. Like that's yeah. all you get. And so, like in Book of Shadows, like any time it references that, where it's like at one point Kim is driving home, uh, because she went to go get some beer because she she was just craving a beer, man. <laughs> uh, there's seven kids in the road. Yeah, there's seven ghost kids that show up in the road, and they're wearing old timey clothes, and, you, and your brain you go, "Oh, those are probably uh, those are the kids that died, I guess." Yeah, and then like Kim is super shook, and it's like, guys, I think it was the kids. Like, yeah, I know it was the fucking kids, <laughs> or you're just crazy. I don't care. You know, yeah. It's like when someone goes, "Oh, that's supposed to be Rustin Parr," and it's like, of all the things, that's the thing they're going to be subtle yeah. about is that that man just on the ground. But yep. the, but the but the woman that has like all these yogurts in her cart and who's mean <laughs> to Kim and doesn't leave the grocery store is not anything. It's just a random woman that lives just there. Just random, yeah. Oh my god, it is such, it is is a train wreck in the best way. This is this is a dog shit film that <laughs> I will gladly show anyone who wants to see it because <laughs> it just shows that like again there are two common wet paths to make a sequel, especially with something as big as a film like Blair Witch Project, where it's like, you can either just do it again, exactly, or just like kind of verbatim take a lot of the same beats and just do a sequel that builds upon those beats, but still kind of keeps it pretty straightforward. Or you can go the weird route. Yeah. Try something completely different and see if that, it kind of stays, but it stays in universe in terms of just like the hysteria and builds on the hype or the mythos of Mm -hmm. the Blair Witch and it goes the weird route. And even if if Shout Factory tomorrow announced we've got the Berliner cut of Blair Witch 2, <laughs> I would watch it. Because yeah. I, I would love to see, like, if Joe Berliner actually had... Creative like, control. Yeah, like, creative control to actually do his cut. Because they, they have everything he shot. Yeah. 
I think it would be cool to see how it would, but I still don't think yeah. the, the the certain angles, the execution, and the performances. Yeah, it still looks really cheap. It does. It's so fucking funny to think this is the the biggest budget of the three films because yeah. this looks silly. Yeah. This honestly looks like the. <laughs> this looks like the types of films that Sanchez and Myrick were like. Yeah, these films just aren't. This is why we made the Blair Witch Project. This just doesn't do anything <laughs> yeah. for us. And it's so funny too that they're executive producers and they both admit like we didn't have any creative control. They just gave yeah. us they gave us the credit because we made the first film. So you know, yeah, there it is. So yeah, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two, great film, piece of shit, definitely watch. Yeah, and so with with that second one, they tried the weird route and that didn't work out for them. Well, what's crazy though is it. It did financially to an extent. Cause they, to a little bit, yeah. Yeah, because like they make their money back. They make three times their money because I think they yeah, get like forty-seven million. Yeah. But that is pennies compared <laughs> to what the first film said. So like they, it's a financial failure, yeah. in the eyes of artisans. So of course, Blair Witch goes dormant. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Blair Witch goes dormant, and then we have a hiatus from about, I would say two thousand one up to about twenty. But 2009, mm-hmm. 2009's around the time where I think both Myrick and Sanchez openly admitted that like they were trying to build an actual sequel to the yeah. original film that actually would play in the same universe, would take place in modern time after the disappearances of Heather, Michael, and Josh. Yeah, and they they played around with things and it just didn't work out. And I also think at that point in time, Lionsgate had already bought the rights of the Blair Witch. Mm-hmm from artisan and now they owned it and so and i think they had a hard time trying to sell a sequel to lionsgate so ultimately they just kind of dwindle off cut a few years later there's a little film that we will probably cover at some point because there is there is a trilogy of it uh there's actually more than that hopefully hopefully there's hopefully they make another one because i'd love to talk (laughs) about all the films yeah yeah. if there's six of them but a film called vhs comes out Uh uh-huh it is a it is uh, a found footage anthology series, a bunch of different directors, a lot of fucking different directors that are making shit now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, most notable, I think, right now is T West, who mm-hmm. currently he did. Um, God, I think he did Second Honeymoon off of VHS, which is probably my least favorite <laughs> uh, vignette of those films. But he just had Pearl come out, yeah, which apparently is great. Well, his big like. Break was kind of House of the Devil. House of the Devil. Um, and then, of course, did X uh, earlier this year. Yes. And then just had Pearl release and has Maxine on the way. Which means absolutely we're going to cover that trilogy whenever <laughs> that comes out. But, yeah, the, you know, T-West, you have uh, Radio Silence, who's known for Ready or Not, as well as Scream 5. Yeah. And the upcoming Scream 6. <laughs> uh, Joe Swansburg, who's uh, uh, who is done a couple directing things but is a big part of this other director who also helped with vhs adam wingard yeah the two big proponents of the last film in our trilogy are adam wingard and writer director simon barrett they directed and wrote well adam wingard directed kind of the overarching narrative of vhs yeah well i think simon barrett wrote the overarching narrative and while they were doing i think a festival run of the first vhs film they both run into Myrick and Sanchez and basically ask them like, yo, like why is there another Blair Witch film? Where they just like have the conversation about, you know, you know, there's so much you could do in that world. And then 
a little after that, maybe a few years or maybe just a year, Lionsgate approaches both Barrett and Wingard and asks them, would you want to do a sequel? <clears throat> Cut to 2015, maybe into 2016. There is a film that gets a trailer called The Woods. It is just a film, as what we see is a film about people going into the woods. It's found footage. Oh, it kind of looks like Blair Witch. Oh, maybe yeah. it takes some inspiration from Blair Witch. Ooh, Adam Wingard, who at the time, they both, Barrett and Wingard, were known for Your Next. I think The Guest had already come out. The guest, from that, yeah. Which I love The Guest. Yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. Such a fun film. Um, Dan Stevens kills it in that film. <laughs> but at this point, it's like, oh, Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard are involved. And, of course, at that point... VHS 2 had already come out, which actually has a vignette directed by Eduardo Sanchez, yeah. uh, which is actually, I think, one of the better ones of VHS 2. But um, So they have a relationship with Myrick and Sanchez to an extent. And so when The Woods gets a trailer, people are like, oh, this might be something interesting. And then when Comic-Con comes around, they basically change all the posters for The Woods to reveal that it is the third... And currently, the last Blair, the, the most recent Blair Witch film, yeah. titled Blair Witch. And this is an interesting one because out of the three of these films, this is this. I mean, this is the sequel that you would think they would have made in two thousand. Yeah, like you said, the the Book of Shadows goes the weird route, and this goes much more the straightforward route of we're gonna kind of do the same thing again. See, foreshadowing, folks. Yeah. I, that's why I brought that up. Good job. Yeah. Claps for Logan. Claps for me. Because in all honesty, what basically happens is 2016's Blair Witch is basically Lionsgate coming to Wingard and Barrett going, listen, this is what we want this film to be. We want this to be kind of a soft reboot, but also an actual continuation of the narrative of the disappearance of Heather, Michael, and Josh. Mm -hmm. What we want to ask you to do is, like, if you have any things you want to add to the script, you can't. We just want it to be this kind of like we want it to be like the original film in terms right. of the beat by beat and so a lot of the stuff that writer simon barrett adds to the narrative are mainly the characters i think the characters of talia and lane are barrett's mm -hmm. uh, inclusion because he thought it would be interesting to have burkittsville natives involved in this kind of expedition because yeah. basically blair witch is heather's brother who was four at the time of the original film mm -hmm. in in canonically he is now in his late 20s. He's a paramedic. And one day he sees a video that was revealed or uploaded onto YouTube of what apparently is Heather going through Rustin Park's house. Yeah. And so he believes, despite it being uh, oh, year 17? 17? Yeah, 17 years later. 17 years later, he believes that Heather is still alive in the Black Hills, in the Black Forest Hills. Or Black Hills Forest. It's one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> and so... With the help of uh, Ashley, Lisa, who are both uh, documentary filmmakers mm -hmm. that are friends with uh, James, and Peter, who is James Long, you know. Like childhood one, best yeah, friend. Yeah, childhood best friend yeah. who was actually a part of the search party to find Heather in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, they all decide to basically connect with the natives and try to find out where the house of Rustin Parr is because apparently that's where that tape was found. Yeah. And so what you get, in my opinion, is a film that at the time it was released, I think was too harshly criticized. Yeah. Because I think in reality, why I, because I really enjoyed this film. And I think I really enjoy it because 
I think at this point when Blair Witch came out, if you had seen Wingard's other stuff and Barrett's other stuff with Wingard, they are very much fans of the genres they play in. They love to be cheeky about those genres, but also are good are good directors and writers. Mm-hmm. So they know how to make it work, but also have a fun time with kind of the conventions yeah. of the subgenre. So, of course, when you're making a Blair Witch sequel that is pretty much just doing the same thing as the first film, they're going to have fun with it. And what happens is, unlike the first film, their approach is to basically treat the Black Hills Forest like a haunted house ride. Yeah. And it is such a fun haunted house ride, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I just really enjoy I, it. I, I just I wouldn't... Yeah. I, I didn't hate this movie. I certainly don't think it's as bad as it got kind of a reputation of being. But I also wouldn't... I'd, I was I was curious. intrigued the whole time, mm-hmm. but was ultimately pretty disappointed. Okay, and kind of felt like my time had been wasted. Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> um, but I I think you're right that I think Wingard and like the the script does some interesting things with it. I mean, I think yes. the the way they play around with it, like basically everybody has a camera or multiple cameras on them at yeah. all times. So it's like everything is covered from every angle is kind of interesting. Yeah, cuz they they play with the fact that like I think the reason why I really do enjoy this as well is it, bo- it seems like both Wingard and Barrett are just telling the audience like, "Look, we're not bullshitting you. We're not trying to tell you that this is real. We are not trying right. to ups we're not trying to make a better film than the first film because in all honesty we're it's hard to do that again you can't do like you like andy said it's you can't do that again yeah once you get away with it once if you get away with it twice you're fucking lucky (laughs) so of course wingard and barrett at that point kind of building a i think a fan base just by the works they're doing and by themselves it is clear that like when they do blair witch it's like we're gonna take the sandbox and we're just going to fucking make a wild-ass film and just hopefully you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And Because what you get is a film that is – it builds the Black Hills Forest as basically the curse of the Blair Witch has made this forest outside of time, <laughs> yeah. outside of just like classic you know, day and night cycles. There are no day and night cycles they it is yeah. it is basically the the rumor is and the film does a good job of kind of addressing this is like the rumor is that if you spend the night in the black hills forest you won't be able to get out unless the blair witch wants you to get out yeah so of course they spend a night in those woods and then it just time goes all o- all over the place yeah it you know they they think they've slept for 8 hours and they have but when they look outside it's still fucking nighttime right there is, I mean, <laughs> well, there's characters who disappear for a while and come back, and then for them it's been like five days. Yeah. Whereas for the main characters, it's been like a day. It just it just has the vibe of like they are making, again, it just feels like a fun haunted house ride to me. Yeah. Because like yeah. when when Lane and Talia come back and they're just like, oh, well, we haven't seen them in five days. It kind of feels like when you go through like that haunted, like a haunted house. <laughs> And you have the actors that are just like, oh, I've yeah. been here for years. Right, like it has right. that. And I just really like, as someone who enjoys that first film, and it's like, I mean, you don't need a sequel, but what could you do if you have a sequel? And you just go, yeah. like, balls out with, like, honestly, my favorite part about this film is the interpretation of what the Blair Witch is mm. in terms of, like, the actual physical manifestation of what this witch looks like. <laughs> 
I just love the fact that this is just a because the witch was her limbs were dragged by rocks as she was tied to a tree. Oh, right, right. She looks like a fucking tree. Yeah. So that's why no one knows where she's at because she's so fucking tall. They just <laughs> think it's tree. Yeah. I just there's just little scenes that like I mean again I I'm not saying this is anywhere near as good as the first film. It isn't. But I just love like just when they get, when Ashley tries to get the drone and just a hand comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so much fun. That's fucking horrifying, but also that's fun as shit. That's cheeky. I, I don't sure. know. I, I just like, again, it very much felt like it was in the same vibe of like your next or the guest in terms mm. of just like there's a cheeky like wink wink of like you you know that this is it's just it's just a fun time. Mm. At least to me, because again, it's like it, it does. It depends, of course. With you, it's a different story. Which yeah, I mean, I almost felt like it was like, like almost in the opposite sense, like almost too self-serious. I could um, see that. I mean, in the sense, not that the first, not that the original movie was like campy or cheeky or anything. No, really, it's you not. Know? Um, so like, it's fair for them to take that approach. But yeah, I didn't quite get the same feeling of like oh yeah they're just gonna have fun with it and you know it felt to me more like you know i think really the thing <laughs> that pissed me off about <laughs> oh this movie, i didn't know it pissed you off this I, is the, the movie in general didn't really piss me off it was yeah. okay um yeah and i get then i get that yeah um but the thing that started to drive me nuts was the sheer number of fake jump scares in this movie i knew you were gonna bring that up because in all honesty i agree with you because it's I, just like there, I do like, think that's. I mean, excessive. there's barely any real jump scares in this movie. No, not They're really. Mostly no fake outs. Yeah, and I and I, I completely forgot about the number that were in this, and I, <laughs> I do think you know, not a fan of fake jump scares, but I will yeah. say if you want to do one or two, go ahead. Sure. That's fine. However, <laughs> there going. are a lot in yeah. this film, and I will say that is definitely a detriment. It's yeah. a little. This is a flawed film, but I do think. And see, in my mind, I think the best way to describe where I think the cheekiness comes from, I don't think the cheekiness comes from the entirety of the film. I think mm -hmm. it comes from the set pieces. I think the actors are told to take it completely oh, straight. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's also where the film it has its flaws because I do think while the actors are doing their absolute best, and I do think they kill a lot of their scenes, there's not a lot of characterization. Because mm -hmm. yeah. one of the big things about the film, too, is like, unlike the first film, it is completely steamrolling to this climax. And yeah. it's not days in that forest. It is literally a, a night. day. It's yeah. a night, maybe two nights if you count like when they go to bed and they just wake up and it's still night. Yeah. Maybe two nights. But there is just like some wild shit that like I just never, I completely forget that uh -huh. Ashley cuts her foot and basically, <laughs> due to the curse of the Blair Witch, has a tree growing, up growing out her. of her leg. Yeah. Oh, it's so that's such good body gross, horror shit. Yeah. When she pulls a leaf <laughs> out of her leg, it's like, what the fuck, yeah. man? Like it, it definitely does feel like, of course, knowing that Lionsgate basically told Barrett, like, we want it to be like this, and there's mm -hmm. no budging. And then Barrett had to basically be like, okay, well, can we do these types of set pieces? Can we? Can I add these characters at least? Like. It seems like the most creative fun from these fil from the film comes from 
again, the inclusion of Lane and Talia. Yeah. And the set pieces. Because it's like, all the serious stuff, while the actors are doing their best, it just doesn't hit as, hit home as much as they want it to because it's like, we haven't spent as much time yeah kind of yeah. slowly getting to know because like i mean yeah it teases certain things out like uh like james and yeah james and lisa's relationship ish thing which is just like why okay. why are we and it's okay that stuff starts to happen so late in the movie and all the yeah. you know all the witchy shit has already started all those wheels have started turning and it's like why yeah. are we pausing to like you know, hint that these guys have feelings for each other when they're about to die anyway. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and I and again, I get that. I do think to I I do think to an extent that is what is holding this film back yeah. are the strict studio notes. But I do also think, thankfully, not like Book of Shadows. Mm. I think both Wingard and Barrett are able to bend the rules and bend the boundaries enough to have because I just love. Love little things like the again the tree growing out of Ashley's leg, <laughs> the fucking tents getting pulled from the front, like just being pulled oh, to yeah, the top yeah, yeah. of the trees <laughs> is just yes, it is just like a it's it's like a harness just pulling those fucking yeah, yeah. but it's so like out of nowhere and it's yeah. so much fun and also Talia's death, my god oh yeah talia's death is great breaking of the sticks where it's like they're voodoo because again it's like what barrett and wingard try to do is like we're gonna take the iconography or them in the mythos and just dabble a little bit in the weirdness of what those could mean in this world where it's like those stick figures could also be kind of like voodoo Mm -hmm. and you see that in the most bombastic way possible <laughs> where someone just fucking snaps yeah and it's oh it's, yeah that that was a good moment i really like or it's like how how could a witch if there is a real physical manifestation how could she you know be in the woods and you not fucking see her because it's the woods yes it could be very it's very wooded but at the same mm-hmm. time at certain angles you should be able to probably see someone from afar well it's because she's tall as shit because her fucking limbs are just super long because yeah. she, she was dragged and she was yeah. she, they were like pulled mr and, fantastic because when she when you see her the i would just remember the first time i saw her in theaters i was like oh that's good that's fucking creepy as shit that's so <laughs> weird because it's like she's in a cramp hallway oh yeah, in Rustin yeah. Parr's house and she's like her ass is like really low but her back is really high yeah. like hunched back and it's like i see what you're trying to do and I appreciate that. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Because, again, when it comes to Wingard and Barrett's stuff, I do think it's on the weaker side of their works together. Mm. And, like, because, like, again, I, I think the guests in your next are better. I, I, and I do think that it shows that when it comes to Blair Witch as a trilogy and as a franchise, guess fucking what? Blair Witch Project should not be a film franchise because... Yeah. Like Andy said, a lot of the things that it does in that first film, you just can't do again. Mm-hmm. To a point where, like, when it kind of happens again to an extent with Paranormal Activity, it is not in the same vein. They do it in a way where they they do pretend that it's maybe based off a real thing and maybe these are tapes of, like, dead people. But in reality, what sold that film was night vision footage of people watching it in the previews. Yeah. And also the fact that you had to demand it showed up at your theater mm-hmm. where it's like, we're not going to put it in your theater. You have to demand it to your local theaters to put it in there, <laughs> which is the closest. I think any found footage film past Blair, Witch has gotten close. 
Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. But even then, it's not even the same type. So when you get to 2016 with this film, it is clear that, like, I don't know what, like, a straightforward sequel would be with full control if it's going to not look like this. Yeah. But I think if this is what you get, this is still a fun time. It's just, I think you're right when it comes to, like, you know, the characters are, are flat, mm-hmm. a lot of the way. The, the fake jump scares are a little too unnecessary and a little excessive. Yeah. But I will also say, if you were kind of someone who wasn't a big fan of it when you initially saw it in theaters, I would say still give it a shot because I was kind of shocked when I showed my girlfriend this. She was just as into it as the first film, and I was <laughs> yeah. caught off guard by that because, like, I, again, enjoy this film, but not to the degree yeah. as Blair Witch Project. Or... And a lot of people, I think, are in Angie's camp, too, where it's just like, I don't hate it, but it's just not. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want this as, like, the sequel to right, Blair Witch. Right. It, it, it is just what it is. Yeah. So, ultimately, what you get with 2016's Blair Witch is a haunted house ride that is 90 minutes long, but <laughs> might not be your type of haunted house ride, or it could yeah. be. I think it really is. And, again, the best part, too, is, like, it's currently on Netflix. Yeah. So, you can just watch <clears> it. <throat> And just give it that give it that time of day, and if it's just not your thing, then that was just yeah. you know ninety minutes. It goes by pretty quick. It does. All three of these films, even two, <laughs> I would I think say two drags. Two drags. A bit. Two drags the most, but like yeah. But if it's you're still fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will admit as much as I think that like it doesn't feel like it drags to the point of it feeling two hours, but I did find where like the hour mark is in the film of, uh-huh. of two, and I was like. Oh wow, <laughs> this is really we just hit an hour. Okay, yeah, yeah. what are we doing here? But yeah, yeah no, because I was I was worried that going into 2016's Blair Witch, I was going to possibly hate it, and I don't. I just mm-hmm. think like I don't like it as much as when I initially saw it because I think yeah, a lot of my feelings of it, I thought it was fantastic at the time, and I think a lot of it was also the fact that like I just didn't understand why people hated it, mm-hmm. and now it's more like I think if you did hate it go back into it and i think worst case scenario you go that's not as bad as i remember it but yeah eh, it's no blair witch project yeah which is which is understandable because i think at the same time it's like this is a trilogy of films where the the answer of why do you exist is mainly (laughs) just the this first sequel exists because of of popularity of the first one the third one exists because it is a it is almost, and it was at nostalgia level. It was like yeah. at that point where it's like, oh, it's almost twenty years. Let's play with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's let's give it. Let's try to bring it back, and let's see if we can spark an interest in the brand again. Yeah. And ultimately, what happens is, is it was it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. I think it makes it makes its money back because it's made off of five million dollars. Yeah. It, I mean, makes, it makes about as much as the previous one yeah, did. Yeah, but that's on the problem. A third of the budget. Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem, and also the the critical again the crit- the critics were very harsh initially of this. Yeah. Think, thankfully, and I think it's silly that people were even comparing it to Book of Shadows, but people were just being like, I mean, it is better than Book of Shadows. Right, it's right, like, right. guys, it's, it's not even comparing. Yeah, it's like comparing a piece of garbage to like an orange. Like, it's not the same. <laughs> it's like, quit it. Yeah, but I I think maybe a huge part of it too, maybe why it was so hated with maybe why it is still kind of hated um is just i mean it's you know it is in a lot of ways kind of trying to do the same thing as the original movie 
but 17 years later in a very different market and and we've seen this time and time again and they're also doing kind of more like you said haunted house scares you know more conventional horror stuff in it trying to pack it to the brim with thrills Mm -hmm. and for a lot of people that's not really why they liked the original movie and so it's like for this to be again kind of just another horror movie and a solid like a fun one is kind of just like huh well all right Again, and there's something we, uh, there is an aspect of this we haven't really brought up, and that's the fact that, like, when this film comes out, this is probably one of the worst times to come out if you're found footage. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, if you're doing a found footage film, the best option is to probably not be horror. Because at this point in time, in 2016, I think this is when Paranormal Activity finally ends after, like, six films. Uh, after the ghost dimension, which I think is around this time, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, Chronicle, I think, is one of the best versions of this found footage style. Yeah. Even then, it's that not. That was 2009? It was 2000. That was later, a little bit later than oh, that, I think, it? 11, 12. Oh, okay. But even then, that is not a horror film, and it's also yeah. not pretending to be an indie film. It is a Fox. It's a studio film that just has a slower, smaller budget. Yeah. At that time, with found footage, it's like, at that point, you've gotten quarantine you've gotten the devil inside you've gotten six paranormal activity films like (laughs) by the time this film comes out i can understand that like if you if for some reason you vhs vhs i mean at this point too it's like yeah you get vhs one and two and i think if anything what saves this film a little bit i think if you go back into this if you haven't seen those you watch vhs and you kind of get the same vibe in terms of like this is the these are the guys that will ultimately lead to blair witch and they are working with just very little they're working with strict parameters but it's nothing like book of shadows it's just you know like andy said in a very very different market yeah where even now six years after blair witch if you asked if you're like okay well if it didn't work in 2016 would it work in 2022 in my mind, I would say no. I don't. I don't think it would work any differently now. Because <laughs> no. like now, it's like fucking Paranormal Activity just came back last year with I think Next of Kin, and that got lambasted yeah. immediately. And it was also direct to streaming. Yeah. And so it's like even then, I feel like now it's like if there was a new Blair Witch. Honestly, the newest Blair Witch content we've gotten in the last six years since that film is a video game mm-hmm. that I think did fairly well for when it came out. But it was, again, a straightforward first person stuck in the woods. But again, when that video game comes out, that's also after, well, I don't know, Five Nights at Freddy's, <laughs> Slender. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's already like Blair Witch had its moment in 1999 with the Blair Witch Project and absolutely killed it at that time. Yeah, But like Artisan was worried about, just handled it poorly with book of shadows the it kind of dies down after Mm -hmm. that because of course it does because it's like the blair witch project is not the type of film that should be turned into a hellraiser friday the 13th nightmare on elm street slasher sequel after sequel or even like something like the conjuring where it only has like three films like the blair witch the blair witch trilogy yes only has three films but it doesn't need those three films yeah it just needs the original yeah, which is why I think we would both agree that like, out of all three of these films, yes, rewatch the original. It's yeah. the best one of all three of these films, and it has aged 
the best out of these three films, even though I don't think mm-hmm. the 26 film, 2016 film has aged poorly. It's just watching it now, it's it's a fun time, but it's not anything I'm going to be like, this is an unsung hero in the sure, horror genre. Yeah, it's just, yeah. honest to God, it's better than what Wingard does literally a year after this. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's also Wingard's in a fucking different place. You know what he makes a year after this film? Uh, no. Death Note. Oh yeah. So it so it goes wow. right from like a film that really didn't deserve all that shit to now. <laughs> like it's also it's yeah because like it's like yeah this is his worst film. <laughs> but even now it's like what's funny is like looking back at that film, like I don't I I didn't bring it up in the beginning but like I just watched the most recent Netflix just released like the most recent live action Full Metal Alchemist film. Oh yeah. It really really makes Death Note look a lot better <laughs> because that is. That new Full Metal Alchemist film is one of the worst films I've seen this year. Yeah. It's absolute dog it shit. terrible. It's like a 1 out of 10, <laughs> in all honesty. It's one of the worst films I've seen this year. Makes the first film look good, and that film was also dog shit. <laughs> but yeah, uh, back on track. Blair Witch Trilogy is definitely an interesting oddity that like yeah. it's it's I think it is worth that trip, especially if you like So Bad It's Good films for that middle entry. But overall, if you're asking like, if you can only watch one, which one should you watch? Before you even finish that question, we both say 1999's Blair Witch Project. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a film that has thankfully stood the test of time almost 30 years later. Yeah. And I'm glad to say that, like, I'm glad to say that because this is one of those films that, like, you know, I think the first time I saw it was late in high school and then I rewatched mm-hmm. it in college. And then it's like, it's going to be one of those films that I think every decade I'll be like, ah, does it still hold up? Right. I think thankfully it will. Yeah. Um, and also now Book of Shadows will be a new film I maybe watch every decade to go. Ah, yes, <laughs> good trash. What a mess. Give it to me. Yeah. What a mess. But yeah, that's the Blair Witch trilogy. A perfect way to start off an odd Halloween. Yes. Because to be honest, it's not our next trilogy is not going to be just as odd, but it is going to be odd because of where it stands in its franchise's yes. timeline. So Andy, why don't you? introduce what our next and final trilogy of the month is going to (laughs) be yes so we are we are going to renege a little bit i think last episode we talked about doing three trilogies in october i was i had a sinus infection at that time i could have probably said four he was delirious i was maybe a little had a lot of pressure in my we were a little ambitious and we're realizing now both of us have very busy octobers yes Um, so we'll be back at the end of the month with a uh, on the 29th yes um we're gonna bookend your your spooktober mm-hmm. because um, to be completely honest i think when we had the conversation after our clerks episode andy brought this idea up to me and i think in all honesty my personal opinion we would rather do two trilogies that we're really into mm-hmm. talking about especially where where they are now and like kind of like their kind of pulp culture kind of yeah. situation rather than trying to make three and maybe shove in a trilogy that we're not fully into as much yeah so um so this this uh next one will be kind of another i mean it's another kind of legacy horror franchise Mm -hmm. um featuring uh everybody's favorite killer michael myers (laughs) but we are not talking about the 1978 classic halloween we are talking about the David Gordon Green trilogy of the last several years, or last few years. 
We'll be talking about 2018's Halloween, 2021's Halloween Kills, and this year's Halloween Ends, uh, which is meant, I guess, to be the the culmination of it all. We get to finally see uh, Jamie Lee Curtis go up against William Shatner once and for all. (laughs) (laughs) It is... I mean, when we were talking about Halloween Kills last year when it was a new release, yeah, we didn't necessarily expect to be talking about the actual trilogy this year, but it just felt right because yeah. of just how much... It is just so fascinating to hear people talk about this current trilogy in Halloween when this is a series that at this point, I believe this is the 11th or 12th, maybe even... 13 14th halloween film yeah in the series this is it's not all, it's also the third film titled halloween <laughs> yeah because there's the also because yeah. there's rob zombies halloween in 2007 seven yeah so it's like this is a franchise that has been alive then dead then alive again the dead again yep. then alive dead it has come back so many times yeah that you know when you have a trilogy that seems to be getting consistently as much popularity, as much praise, or as much of a conversation, per mm-hmm. se, as this trilogy, it's hard not to want to talk about it, especially when it comes to its end. Because, oh boy, after Kills, <laughs> we are, I think we both are kind of very curious to see like how yeah. it'll tie it together. Because we don't i mean i think the newest trailer literally just came out recently for yeah i haven't even seen that one neither have i Um, but a big part of that we'll talk about with the episode is the fact that like these were all meant to be made back to back to back but that didn't happen because of you know a little thing called the pandemic (laughs) yeah so well and i i didn't even uh realize that or that this was meant to be a trilogy until like right before i went to see kills because i remember seeing the trailers for kills and they're really playing up the mm-hmm. jamie lee or uh what's her character's name Lori. Uh, Lori, you know confronting michael myers again you know going back yeah. at it and i was like oh okay so halloween kills this will be the the last one at least for Lori or whatever and then you know i find out shortly before they're planning another one and yeah. or they've already done another one and i'm like oh okay so now i'm interested to see what halloween ends is because it really feels like they've been kind of latched onto that final confrontation idea ever since the first of these movies yeah, like I ever mean, since 2018 to be when she literally has her kind of big climactic showdown with yeah. him and now it's like okay we're we're still here we've got one more to go what what's it gonna be it's also the fact he's that already like, killed the entire town oh god <laughs> basically it's at this. It's also fascinating too because this is, I think, out of the possibilities of trilogies we could talk about the series, this is the third option because it's uh-huh. like we could talk <laughs> about the original three because the original trio was fascinating in their own right because of just yeah. kind of the evolution, and then there's four through six which are its own thing, yeah, which have their own issues, and it seems like this is the first trilogy that'll end with a vision that actually was built from the beginning. Right. Like this was meant to tell its own story. Yeah. Three movies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, again, I think I found out it was supposed to be a trilogy when like I saw the 2018 Halloween Yeah, and I had a really good time, but I didn't realize how much people loved it until, you know, the box office was coming through and Uh the David Gordon green pretty much when they announced they had like a trailer video 
that just had the logos for kills, date, Halloween ends, date. And it's like, oh, so they have a trilogy. (laughs) Because, again, yeah, because the big thing about this trilogy is that it's directed by David Gordon Green and it's written by David Gordon Green as well as written by the Righteous Gemstones, Eastbound and Down, This is the Ends, Danny McBride. (laughs) So it's fascinating to kind of see their interpretation of what Michael Myers could be in the modern day. And so, yeah, we're excited to talk about it, especially, you know, give the time for everyone to see it if you're interested and also get closer to the Halloween, the actual date itself. Yep. And so, yeah, we're super excited. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to God ends ties it all together, but yeah, there's only one way to find out. So, (laughs) tune in on the 29th and we talk about David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash and I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.